Um, and I want us to open up in prayer tonight uh, that God would prepare our hearts um, for what He is planning to do with us and that we would be faithful servants for Him. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You so much for Your Word, for the hope that it's given us. I thank You for Christ and the cross and the promise that the resurrection has left for us, that we will be like Him and that You are moving in us in every situation, in every trial, in every storm, in every bright and sunny day, Lord, that You are working in these things for our good. Lord, that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. Lord, and I pray that our understanding of what the good for us is, that it changes to what it really is. Or so oftentimes we have ideas that more possessions or more comfort or more leisure here on this world is, is what's good for us and we miss or lose sight of what truly is good, Lord. And You reforming us, You molding us, You shaping us into the picture of Christ, Lord, that is good for us. Lord, I pray that through this You get glory and that You get honor. Lord, uh, we've had this conversation many times. And I am so unfit and unworthy. And I, I pray Lord, I pray that I don't mess it up. Lord, in that, I'm comforted by the knowledge that you're sovereign over every word that I will ever speak. That your Holy Spirit is moving in this place already. Lord, move among us that we would know you more, that we would worship you more, that we would love you more. We would cherish you above all things, that you would be the treasure of our of our lives, that you would, Lord, be the thing that we wake up looking forward to and that we lay in bed at night resting in. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the Word that we're going to look into tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us. Lord, move me out of the way and seal my lips that I would speak nothing for myself but that your Word would be proclaimed the truth of your word would be made known to your people so that they could be made more and more useful for you. I thank you for my church. Lord, for the sick in our church, I ask that you would move and heal and that you would get glory. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right. Um, Today, uh, we're going to look at the first verse of Romans, and then I'm going to kind of give you an idea of what the next, at least the next couple of weeks are going to look like. Uh, so let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What you're going to find as we go through this book, and the reason that I jokingly say years is that for every single verse that we're going to find, you can unpack this thing and pull so much 
from it. So we're going to spend some time today. The, the book opens, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm reading out of the ESV. I think we're being followed by the ASV, which, which reads fairly closely to this. I've chosen a different version today to go out of than what I went out of when we were doing Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, I was doing the NLT, uh, which is, which is uh, more of a dynamic translation. You get a little bit smoother reading of the text, which I felt like we needed for Ecclesiastes because it's difficult to read anyways. This gives you a, a, a translation that is closer to the original wording of the words that were written uh, by the Apostle Paul. So um, I've chosen this so that we can pick apart each and every single word here. Uh, the word servant, I want to look at first. So Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. This word servant is translated from the word doulos. This is an important word. When we hear servant, um, you may think of somebody that comes and cleans your house, or you may think of somebody that serves you at a table. That is not what this means. That's not what this entails. It has a lot more behind it. The word servant here is more properly understood to be a bond servant. Right? Someone who is a servant in chains. Right? So I think when we look at this and we look at Paul and we think about the way that he opens this book up relating to us how he feels about himself as being bound to Christ. Right? I think there's a lot to dig into here. I think there's a lot to look into. So one thing that I want us to do first uh, as we kind of get started in this book, then today and next week, next Sunday night, are going to be really intros into the book of Romans. Right, So we're not going to start really digging down deep, passage by passage by passage, until probably three weeks from today. Today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Paul, the, who, the one who authored this book, and we're going to look at his life. We're going to say, what do we know about Paul from the time that he was born, maybe, up until the time that the book that Romans was written? What do we know about what happened to Paul after uh, he wrote the book of Romans? So we're going to do this by just digging through what we can see in Scripture about Paul. Um, so let's go ahead and do that. I'm, we're going to... and and. We're going to be in Acts for a considerable amount of time here. I'm going to uh, read to you probably the first couple of things that we're going to look at uh, Paul and his life. We're going, to, we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 22. So if we want to pull up Acts chapter 22, um, we're going to look at a couple of things that we know about Paul. So today's going to feel a little bit like school, right? We're just going to be getting a lot of facts about the guy, seeing what we know about him. Um, so I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen. We're going to cover a, a good deal of Scripture. We're really going to be doing an overview of all of Acts, right? So we're kind of going to survey the book of Acts tonight so that we can see what it is that Paul had done, what life experiences had he had in leading up to this. So we're going to start, uh, let's, let's think about Christ, or excuse me, Paul before Christ. What do we know about who Paul was? What experiences in life did he have in leading up to the point that we would consider to be his conversion? The Damascus Road. So in Acts chapter 22, if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, in verse 22, or in chapter 22, verse 3, we see that Paul was born in Tarsus in Cilicia. So in verse 3 of chapter 22, he says, I'm born, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, uh, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. So we know we can, we can dig out of just this one verse quite a bit about Paul. Paul was born in Tarsus, uh, which means that his upbringing was Greek. 
Okay, uh, raised and educated in Jerusalem. The guy's multicultural. I want you to get this picture, right? So he's born in a Greek community. He's raised up and educated. Gamaliel was a very, uh, very well-known, probably of all of the, the uh, Sanhedrin, of all the people that we know of in that time. Gamaliel was probably one of the most well-known of all of them. So when he says this and he mentions this, people know who he's talking about. Right? So he's well educated. Gamaliel was one who would teach you the Jewish law. Again, so what we know is that Paul's well educated in the law. This, all of this stuff is going to start playing in when we get into the book of Romans and we start digging in and trying to say, well, why is Paul saying these things? Why is he making arguments like this? Understanding who he is and where he comes from is going to be key in this. Uh, he was a Pharisee, and he was the son of Pharisees, right? So the Pharisees were kind of a Jewish sect. They, this sect uh, held to uh, that there was, in fact, angels and resurrection and all these things, the Sadducees being the other, uh, the other sect of the Jews, and they held that there was no angels, no resurrection uh, at all. Paul was a Pharisee, and he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, so you can find this in Acts chapter 23, verse 6. Where he says, now when Paul perceived that one part of the Sadducees and the other Pharisees, uh, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Is, with, is it with respect to the hope and the, of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial? So Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, he was an Israelite and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. If you were to flip over to Romans chapter 11, very briefly... Um, we see him mention this here, uh, 11, chapter 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Again, I'll give you a second. It's, yeah, so we've got it up on, the, up on the screen there. So he is an Israelite. He is born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a citizen of Rome, if we go back. Uh, to Acts chapter 16, again, there's a lot of flipping going on, and I tend to not like to do this, but for the sake of us getting as much info, because I want you to, one of the things, another thing that I want us to get out of this, um, I think sometimes uh, when preachers get up to preach or teachers get up to, to teach, um, sometimes it can be overwhelming and you just think everybody knows everything. Um, that's not the case. That's why I'm, I make it clear to you that I spend a ridiculous amount of time digging through this book. And, and one of the reasons that we're doing that again tonight is so that you see, I'm not just throwing these things out there, but if that we study God's Word, if we dig into it, that these things we can know ourselves, Right? And this is what ultimately, in everything that I preach and everything that I teach, one thing that I want to do is I want to enable you to do it, right? Like, if I'm just up here saying, listen to me and believe me, and, you know, then I could potentially lead you astray, and that's a dangerous thing. But what I want to do instead is I want to show you how I teach, how I learn, how I dig through Scripture, so that you can go and do it yourselves, Right? And this is going to be this is going to be a pattern that we're going to see come up time and time again throughout this. So I just want to point out one of the reasons that we're digging through so many passages of text tonight is because I want to show you that the facts that I'm listing about this guy you can get if you just pick up the book 
and pay attention to it. Let's, let's get to be where we're not just ones who read God's Word, but we're, we're ones who study God's Word, right? There is a difference. And, and I think that a lot of times we skim it in reading and we miss out on details that may be important or may play into a deeper understanding of particular things because maybe we've got better things to do, right? We want to, you know... Watch TV. We want to watch the Super Bowl or whatever. That's not y'all, because y'all are here tonight. And Dustin gave y'all fair warning this morning, so y'all are not the ones that are caring about watching the Super Bowl, or you would not have showed up tonight, right? So that's why we're digging through all this. So let's flip uh, again. We can get more information about Paul, his citizenship to Rome, Acts chapter sixteen, verse thirty-seven. Acts sixteen, verse. Let me flip there myself. Verse 37, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they throw us now out secretly? Right. So there's one passage of text where he sees a Roman citizen. Um, Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 39 is another place that, that he brings this up to 21, 39. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus, a city... Uh, in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. Yeah, so Acts chapter 22 and verse 25 through 28, he makes mention of this again. So uh, if I get too, y'all let me know if, if I'm going too fast and we're missing it on the board or, or something like that. So Acts chapter 22, we're going to look at verse 25 through 28 here. Acts 22, 25 through 28. But then they had stretched him out, uh, or uh, excuse me, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Uh, when the centurion heard this, he went out to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought the citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So Paul's citizenship was a citizenship uh, by birth. This is, again, more details about him. Um, let's turn to 23 uh, and 16. Uh, one thing that I want you to understand, and we're gonna, I'm going to touch on some passages of text here that are very, very obscure. Right, But what I want you to get out of this is that there is so much in the text if we just pay attention to it. So did Paul have family and do we know anything about Paul's family? Well, in fact, we do. We get, And this is a very, very obscure passage of text, right? And we can infer some things from this text, right? So let's, uh, let's, we're in 23 and 16 and I want to read this to you. But now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. So Paul has a sister, we know this. Paul's sister has a son, we know this. Can you, by reading this, infer anything about his relationship with at least his nephew? That when, And this is at a part in, place in time where Paul is following Christ. At least not all of his family has rejected him at this point in time. This is something we can get from this passage of text. His nephew is coming and warning him. If they had rejected, if they had outright rejected him fully, and at least not at some point up to here, come around to what he's been saying about this Jesus guy, then you wouldn't find him warning him, right? So we get this passage of text, very obscure, that can give us some insight into Paul and maybe his relationship 
uh, with his family here. So uh, again, that's, I, I understand that's ridiculously obscure and it almost seems like it makes no difference at all. But one thing that I want you to get is that God's Word has so much in it and every detail matters. Got it? Every single detail. This is why we can study God's Word for the entirety of our lives and not pick it apart completely. Right? Because I've been studying this book and I was five years ago I'd been saying that I'd been studying this book for five years. So I've been studying this book the large majority of the time that I've been saved and at least five of those years in the last three months it has been my primary area of study and I've missed this. Right? I've missed this. So I caught this this time around. Because my, my thoughts the whole time up until I hit this and saw this was that I'm thinking Paul raised up in the way that he was raised up. You think like, like the Muslims and the way that they react to somebody coming to Christ, nothing to do with them, right? So if that was their initial reaction, at least at some point along the way, they came back around. And we can see this by this one little obscure passage of text, right? His nephew came and warned him, right? This would not happen if he had just been completely and outright rejected, at least up until this point, uh, by his family. So he still had family in Jerusalem, and the family that was there that's mentioned in this text, uh, they uh, think favorably of him because they're warning him here. Um, Paul also uh, was multilingual. In Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 37, again, 21, 37. Dennis is quick. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, he sa- it says, Paul was about to be brought into the barracks. He said to the, to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Okay, so what did he say when, when now we read it in English, right? In English, he, he said, may I say something to you? Now, if I say something to you in English, do you respond, do you know Greek? No. <laughs> okay, so again, what are we getting here? We're getting the English translation of what he said, and what did he say it in? What language did he speak it in? Did he, did he speak it in Aramaic? He said something in Aramaic, and the guy's like, you know Greek. No, what, what must he have said it in? Greek, right, right. So, so Paul spoke Greek, which would make sense. He's got a Greek heritage. He's got a Greek, he was born in Tarsus. This is, this is important. He also speaks uh, the Hebrew language. Now, some translations are going to say Hebrew. Some are going to say Aramaic. The popular language for the Hebrew people at this time in history was Aramaic. The version that I read here says the Hebrew language, meaning the language of the Hebrews, likely Aramaic. Uh, so Paul spoke at least those two languages. There are some who would say that he spoke, uh, that he likely also spoke or uh, understood Latin. Um, there's not really a passage of text that makes that super clear, so I'm not going to go out that far and say that, but it is possible that he did. Um, he also was a tent maker, so he had a trade. There was a job that he could do, and this is going to play in. We're actually going to read this later on when we're kind of digging through the whole book of Acts here. Um, so in chapter 18, verse 3, we see that he was a tent maker. Um, it says, um, I'm just going to read from verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and uh, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had 
commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul was a tent maker again. And I'm going to stop here, and, and along the way, this is kind of secondary and auxiliary to the study that we're going to be doing as a whole overall, but I want to point out to you some things, because again, these are the small details. And the small details matter. The names of the people that you see here, you will see again. Okay? And we're going to read this story. We're going to start at the conversion and kind of make our way to here. But Priscilla and Aquila, go read the last chapter of Romans. Right? Go read the last chapter of Romans. You know what you're going to find in the last chapter of Romans? Paul saying, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, And there's going to be some stuff, and we're going to talk about this more in detail then. But, but one thing that's been a big thing I've gotten out of the book of Romans over the last couple of times that I've done, and especially as I've been prepping to, to kind of get into the life of Paul here, is that, that the gospel is... is um, and I, there is times that I find myself very much trying to do the intellectual thing with Scripture. I love it. I love to read it. I love to study it. I love to dig into it. You call it a hobby. Call it me being a nerd or whatever. I love to get into God's Word. And I find so many times that I can get so consumed by nitpicking this and that and, you know, so like high-minded and like truth is everything and there's, you know, like just like trying to be a brainy whatever. I don't, I don't know. That I can miss... The fact that the gospel is all about people. It's all about people. And one of the things that we're going to dig into at the very end of this study, this is very far looking, but we're going to see it here, is that people matter, names matter. right? The names of people that we come in contact with on a daily basis matter. Because sometimes the places we can't go, they can. Sometimes the places that we will never go, they will. right? So Paul's writing in the book of Romans, to them, and he's met them before, right? So he was acquainted with them, and he wasn't acquainted with them because he just met them at church. Like, they were tent makers. They had a trade like him. So one thing that I want us to get from this is the people that matter, they're here, yes. They're there also. And in the things that seem the most mundane to us, like going and making tents, or going to doing your job, if you feel like your job is mundane, those things matter. Like Those things are important because you may be pouring into those people the gospel that they're going to take somewhere else to a place that you will not get the opportunity to go. So I want us to get, I want y'all to get this. Maybe y'all don't make the same mistake that I find myself making so often is the thing, let's just dig into this for the sake of getting it up here so we, think we can feel good about what we know up here. But let's, let's get that when we get into this gospel, that this is a gospel that causes us to react. This is a gospel that causes us to go out. This is a gospel that when we come in contact with it, we cannot help but be transformed by it. Right? And that transformation, part of that is our desire to share it with others. So um, that's just kind of a side note there. And again, like I say, we're going we're gonna to hit um, more on that later. Uh, Paul also was, I would say... Uh, before him, there was none other that had persecuted the church. And likely, in, in uh, no small way, there was none other who came after him who had persecuted the early church in the way that, uh, the way that Paul did, at least on an individual 
level. And uh, what we're going to find is that the uh, the man that was the most uh, fervent in his desire to destroy the church turned out to be the man who set the church on fire as far as it being spread through uh, the world to those who had not uh, heard it up to this point. So um, that being said, I want us to, to start and look at um, the the events that kind of led Paul to the writing of the book of Romans. We're going to start. Um, we're going to start just prior to uh, his conversion. We're going to start just prior uh, to his uh, Damascus Road experience, um, just to kind of get an idea. Um, again, I say the gospel is personal, and our lives are personal, and the mistakes that we make are personal, and those those mistakes that we make, those things we fail to do, or those things that we do that we should not have done, those things also, I want us to understand this, that God works them for good. Okay? So that we're not to dwell on those things in our past so that they would overcome us and that we could not move forward for the sake of the gospel, but that we understand that God has covered those things in the work of Christ. And through that, our our knowledge and understanding resting on the finished work of Christ, we can push forward. We can push forward to serve Him. We can push forward to encourage one another in Him and not be weighed down or or pulled down in this. Because here's the truth. When I say that Paul persecuted the early church, this is not just some vague, like abstract church. This is people's lives that he wrecked. And just before his Damascus Road experience, we're given the name of one of those. So if we were to look in uh, Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen. Stephen is pouring out the gospel, and Stephen gets stoned to death. And guess who was there? Right? Scripture says, Saul, we refer to him now as Paul, uh, in the latter part of chapter 7, verse uh, 58, it says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And this is speaking of Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This Saul is Paul. Alright, verse 8, and, or chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered. Man. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Do you know what happened because of the persecution that was... Like, when you look at Paul's life and you look at both sides of it, like, he had an effect. And this is what I'm saying, man. Y'all need to get this. That even the evil things that we do, God is bigger than them. The persecution scatters the church. That he will then one day go preach to, right? This is what it says. It scattered them throughout the regions. They were kind of stuck in one place. The church is not really branching out too much, right? And what happens? Persecution comes. Pressure comes. What happens? People get in uncomfortable situations. They start fleeing. They start probably wondering in their minds, is God in control of any of this? And little did they know, little do we know that God's got it under 
control. That the very man that's here approving of the execution, God has plans for him. Right? This is so huge, so big. I want us, man, I want us to, to just like marvel at, and I think for eternity we, we will marvel at just how God has worked in everything, in every situation, and everything to bring glory to His name. So, so here in chapter 8, we find Paul approving of the execution of a member of the church, and Paul uh, continues to go on. Chapter 9, we find him, uh, and this is where we're going to kind of get into the Damascus Road stuff, chapter 9, verse 1. But Paul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. This is 9 verse 1. And now we're in 9 verse 2. And ask him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they were calling the church at the time, the way, uh, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to, the, to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And, to, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he is authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But, but, and I, I want you all to understand too that you, your idea of God's sovereignty through the book of Romans is going to be multiplied Levels above what it is now, and I wanted to point out some things along the way. So there, here's the big, here's the big, you know. But the Lord said to him, "Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." So God says, "But," and now I, I want to pose the question to you. Right, And these are going to be some questions that we're going to, over the course of time, over the course of the study, start really digging into. And for some of you, it may get ridiculously uncomfortable. And for others of you, it may feel very comfortable. You may be at home there. And I want to ask the question here, when God says, but, can Paul reply then, well, I'm going to go on to Damascus and do my stoning and tying up and bring him back? Can he? Can he? So what's going to happen when God has chosen him for a purpose? Will that purpose fail? Is God going to fail in that? No. So now I want you to just step back for a minute and think of the problems, at least mentally, that that tends to cause us to have. So Paul, the question, could he say no? 
God says, but, could Paul say, well, you know, I had other plans. When we come in contact with God like this, when you meet Him on your Damascus road, the question that I have is, could you have had any other response? Then what? Okay, I'm blind. Give me some sight, and I'm going to do exactly what you tell me. When you meet God, what happens to us? So, so when we start talking, when we get into the book of Romans, the, the initial onset of this book, one of the big questions that I hope that we address in depth is what is salvation? How does it occur? What steps are there along the way? What can we expect after? And we're going to dig into this hard. Right? We're going to push forward into this idea. And I pray, and I think without a shadow of a doubt, that as we push forward, that your idea of what salvation is, is likely to be changed. Right? I think we have a very, very shallow understanding of salvation. I think we have bottled up and boxed up salvation to be a few cliche catchphrases of, ask Jesus into your heart. When the gospel's preached, I want to ask you the question. Where do we find that question as the response to how do I get saved? Where do we find Paul or Peter or any of them? Just throw that out there. We'll just ask Jesus into your heart. Where? Again, I say I'm posing to you some difficult questions. And my plan is we're going to dig into this and we're going to find the answer to these things. But I, I don't want us to be afraid of asking hard questions. Right? I don't want us to be afraid of wrestling with difficult things. So God says here in 15, Go, for He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So one thing that I want us to notice here is that immediately upon Paul's conversion, Paul starts responding how? So, so the scales are removed from his eyes. He can see clearly now for the first time in his life. Right? What does he start doing? He starts proclaiming the name of Jesus. So from this, practically, when we come to Christ, how soon is too soon for us to start pro proclaiming the name of Jesus? I would say that the, that the response that should be very natural for us upon conversion, is to share that experience. This is what we find here. So, now, 
Paul here is in Damascus for a little while. We're going to speed the process up because we're not going through the entire book of Acts verse by verse. We're going through Romans verse by verse. But I want us to get a picture. So here he escapes Damascus. He gets into a little trouble. They want to, I mean, Paul starts off early wanting to get killed. Um, he's, he goes to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, and I'm going to be mentioning a lot of the places we're going to stop along the way, like we're going to be in uh, 927 right here, is going to be in the mentioning of names. I want to mention people that Paul's coming in contact with along the way. Right? So here we find Paul meets Barnabas, verse 27. So Paul is converted. He's in Damascus here. Uh, He meets Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared uh, to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now I want us to stop for a second and I want us to ask ourselves, and this is another critical part to you studying God's Word. This whole thing ties together seamlessly. So we need to read it in its entirety, right? So what, when Paul, did he immediately go to Jerusalem? The question that I want to ask you, right? Because in reading here, it would almost seem like that he immediately went to Jerusalem. But could it be the case that there was some time in between? I would say, yes, there is the case if we go over to Galatians. This is why the whole book matters. Go over to Galatians. We're going to find another piece of this story here. So um, now we're at, and I've kind of got a timeline built, put out in my notes here. Um, so uh, Paul's converted. I'm not going to go into the years and dates and stuff like that. If you're interested, you just get with me afterwards. Uh, Paul's converted. He spends two years in Arabia and in Damascus, and, and then in Damascus. Um, we're going to find in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to look at verse 18 really briefly, and then we're going to get back on track to where we are here in Acts. So hold yourself in Acts chapter 9. Flip with me over to... Uh, over to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 17. I'm actually going to start reading in 15. This is Paul speaking here. If you look in 1.1, Paul, an apostle, this is Paul speaking, telling uh, us what happened himself. Verse 15, But when he who set me apart before I was born, I want you to listen all to the detail of the way that Paul speaks of himself. Uh, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not go up to or I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. Right. So in the book of Acts, we almost get a fast forwarded view of him going to Jerusalem. But, what we can see here is that he in fact spent some time before he went to Jerusalem, right? So I want us to, I want us to, to get that. He went away to Arabia, and then he returned to Damascus. This is going to help because one thing that I want you to do is we saw that, that when he was approving of murders, that he was called a young man. I want us to understand that a lot of stuff has happened in between the time that he was a young man and the writing of Romans. So we need to kind of build up this time frame of just how much time had passed by from the time that he was murdering Christians to the time that he's writing the book of Romans. What kind of life experiences have come in along the way to build up who he is and what he's thinking and the way that he sees the world. So that's why, that's why it's kind of painstakingly going through this is important. Uh, so he spent some time in Damascus. So verse uh, 18 here. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you, 
before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Where was he born? So he was in Tarsus and Cilicia, right? So, so we get this picture that Paul at some point kind of goes home, right? So he goes to Jerusalem first. So let's go back over now, uh, back in Acts chapter 9. And again, I know there's a lot of stuff that we're covering here, and I, I understand full well that sometimes it's hard to carry a train of thought through it. If I lose you at any point along the way, get with me. And again, if I lose you at any point along the way, the Internet can be your friend if you use it wisely. There are timelines of Paul's life and all this stuff out there. I didn't make it up, and I'm not the first person to dig through Scripture to get to, to, get to it. So be wise in the use of your, in the use of your resources, but... Uh, don't be afraid to use the internet to help you out. Uh, so here we find Paul going to Jerusalem, and he meets in Jerusalem Barnabas. Verse 27 of chapter 9. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, uh, on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So what was he doing when he went to Damascus? He was preaching. Again, he started preaching right after. And he continued preaching. Along the way. So he meets Barnabas in Jerusalem. This is going to be key because Barnabas is going to go later on and get him. But what happens? So in verse 28, So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. Man, Paul, this is the story of his life, man. Somebody's always out to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So where did it say in Galatians that he went up, then he went off to and stayed in Cilicia? And what's in Cilicia? Tarsus. You see the picture gets built up as we, as we kind of put these things together here. So some time passes, and we're going to kind of fast forward over to chapter 11. Sometime passes, and when I say sometimes, I, I mean about 14 years. So Paul is in uh, his home in, or, you know, in, in the Sirius Cilicia in this area for around 14 years. Um, and then Barnabas goes to get him. Um, this is around 47 AD. Um, we're going to find here his first missionary journey begins. So Paul starts preaching immediately. Like he starts telling people about Christ immediately. He doesn't immediately go and become a missionary. Right? Like a lot of the things that we think about Paul, we think about Paul like, like he was converted and immediately became a missionary. But we're talking about somewhere between 14 and 17 years between the time that Paul was converted and the time that he went on his first mission trip. Right? Now, there's going to be a picture building up of how God's equipping and how God's working and how God's putting him in contact with the right people along the way. So uh, in verse uh, 25 of chapter 11 of Acts, okay? Uh, so like I say, 14 years have passed up to this point, uh, verse 14-ish. Uh, verse 25, Barnabas was sent to Tarsus to look for Saul. This is verse 25 of chapter 11. And, and at this point, we're going to be jumping through verses, but we're going to be flowing forward. So we're going to be flowing towards the end of the book of Acts. We're not going to be backstepping at any point along the uh, along the way at this point. So we are going to be jumping around just for the sake of uh, not studying the entire book of Acts. Uh, so 25, Barmas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Antioch's important. Okay, so he brings him to Antioch. Antioch essentially at this point becomes kind of his home base. It becomes the church from which he does mission work out of. Right? So 
Barnabas goes to get Paul, brings Paul uh, to Antioch. Um, they do a little mini-mission trip in verse 29 uh, of chapter 11. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they were kind of short-term mission tripping here. Um, verse 12, or verse 25 of chapter 12, we see them returning from there. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. So they had completed their, uh, when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Again, we're kind of hitting some verses that's got names in it, because names matter. Uh, so Paul, or yeah, Saul, or Paul, Barnabas, and now we've got John Mark, uh, there in verse 25. In verse 4 of the next chapter, verse 13, uh, or chapter 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they had, from there they sailed to Cyprus. So this is the start of their first missionary journey. Now verse 13, I want to make uh, uh, just a, a, small, a, a small kind of sidestep uh, to see this. So we just hit that in verse 4. Now in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos uh, and came to Perga. And I may murder these names. I may be horrible with that, and I apologize. And Pamphylia, uh, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So Mark, John Mark, the guy that they'd met just a couple of verses earlier, uh, has now decided to turn away. And this is important because they go on, uh, Paul and Barnabas now go on for some, for some years now. Um, I, I did the numbers uh, for about five years or so, they're on their, their let me double check that, um, maybe like two to three years, they're on this first uh, missionary journey, uh, Antioch having sent them, sent them out. Um, now we're going to come um, in chapter 14, verse 26, uh, we're going to see them returning to Antioch. And from there, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So they were successful in their first missionary uh, journey here. There then, there's some stuff going on at the church there, and they're sent back to Jerusalem. So this is the second time that Paul has now been to Jerusalem. The first time, that's where he met Barnabas. Now the second time, they're going back to figure out some things between the Gentiles and the Jews. So verse 4 of chapter 15, And they came to Jerusalem, and they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. If we continue down now, uh, in verse 36, they're about to go out again. So this is going to be the second uh, journey that Paul is going to set out on, a second missionary journey. This is important. He goes on three that I would classify as missionary journeys. He really goes on a fourth, but the fourth one he's kind of in chains. Um, he's still preaching, but you know it's not so much the volunteer type um, going as, as so much the you're, you're going to your death kind of going. Um, so this is the second of Paul's missionary journeys, and he was going to set out with Barnabas, but Barnabas wanted Mark to come along, the guy that had deserted them prior. And Paul's like, yeah, no, you know, I don't want to, uh, he deserted us before. I don't want to be out there and then uh, him leave us again. So they have a little bit of a, they have a little bit of a disagreement. Again, what I want us to see here is that the people that were writing Scripture, they were not, and I mentioned this in our men's class now, they were not God. They were not Christ. They were not perfect, right? But God has done and is doing a perfect work to complete His will for all that He has done. And I want us to, to, to get that. And He uses imperfect people 
along the way. So at the point there's a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, so they decide that they're gonna that they're gonna uh, go in different directions. Um, verse forty. So Paul now chooses Silas. It says verse forty, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers. Uh, to the grace of the Lord. He then meets Timothy. Timothy's important. The last book Paul writes is to Timothy. So he meets Timothy along this, uh, this second missionary journey. Verse 16, or verse 1 of chapter 16, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra, uh, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Uh, so now we've got Paul, Silas, they've met up here with Timothy. Who writes the book of Acts? Y'all know? Luke, we'll go ahead and give it to you, save some time. All right, Luke is writing, written the book of Acts here. Now here's another one of those places that I want to tell you, pay attention to the details of Scripture because it matters. So when we read over here, like in 15 and 1, he uses this word, and they came to Jerusalem. They were welcomed by the church. Um, In verse 40, but Paul and Silas departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, through Syria, um, we find him, Timothy here. Now, if you go down to verse 10, the wording changes here. We find it changing from they to we in verse 10. It says, and Paul, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what can we conclude by this? One word, one change in the tense of the way that... The word's using. What do we now know has happened? Paul's writing the book. What do we know? Or, excuse me, Luke's writing the book. What do we know? Luke's now on the trip. Again, people matter. The relationships that we have with people matter. People are coming in contact with us as we're out doing the work of God. This matters. This matters. So Luke joins up here. Just wanted to kind of point that out. Again, that's why I would say that the details matter. Picking up on the details does matter because how else would you know that Luke could jumped on board there, apart from the fact that now Luke, in writing this book, is saying, we, and he's including himself along the way in this. Um, Now we're going to go to, uh, we're going to jump over now to verse uh, 1 of chapter 18. Um, So now, uh, again, this missionary journey, the second missionary journey has been well on its way. Um, We come to Corinth, and in in this in in this section, so eighteen, and it actually is going to be in twenty uh, when the book of Romans gets penned, and this is where we're going to just kind of we're not going to I mean, just short circuit everything, but we're going to kind of focus we're going to kind of focus there, and 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 I want you, I'll let you guys look and see what the rest of Paul's uh, mission life looked like throughout the book of Acts, and we'll go. Uh, jump somewhere else. But I, I want to mention here 18 and 1. After Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his r- wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So it was a major event that happened. If you look historically, uh, the Jews, or it was really like the Christian Jews and just the Jews in general were kind of cast out because of this guy that if you look at in the ancient writings was called Christus, right? Which which most scholars would would say is likely just a misspelling of them talking about Christ. So the Jews are expelled from Rome, right? Many of them land here. We know at least Priscilla and Aquila did because we're told explicitly 
that Paul meets them here and that they were cast out by this. So Claudius had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome and he went and he went to see them because he was uh, of the same trade. He stayed with them and he worked for they were tent makers by trade. So they're cast out again. This is one of those events that we would consider to be very bad for them. It worked out very good for Paul. Right? It worked out very good, I would say, for uh, Rome overall. Um, God is sovereign over everything. So Paul here meets uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, and I would probably go out on a limb and say he probably met others too. Um, he's probably met many along the way. I think he mentioned somewhere at the end of the book of Romans like 26 names. He knows 26 plus because he mentions names and he mentions like the people that are in their church. So he knows the details of people's lives. So people mattered to Paul very, very much, right? And he was very much about plugging into people's lives. He's working with these people, right? So I want us to, to kind of get that, that, that it's important what we do and the way that we live our lives and with the people that we come in contact with, that we, that we live very intentionally, Right? So when you go to work, you go to work, you may build tents, you may do whatever, you may be, build houses. Go to work with the intention that Christ is central and the focus of all of that. That that is mission in itself, right? It should be the way that we think about life is that everything that we do, we're making disciples, right? And these disciples may be going places. Right? And in fact, we, we, we know that Priscilla and Aquila do go. And you know what's interesting also? So they kind of part ways a little bit later in the chapter. If you read through chapter 18 there, you'll see not for bad terms or on bad terms or anything, but Paul's going one way, they're, they're going another place. That's how it happens in life. You know, like I've had lots of friends that's come to church here and that they now serve in other places. I try to keep in touch as much as possible with them. Life happens, right? Like sometimes we're called to serve in other places. Sometimes we're called to serve in some places for long times or short times or whatever. But along the way, we're, we're making these contacts, right? We're making these relationships with people. They may go, and you know what? He's, this, is, this is great. Like he keeps up with them, right? Even though they may be in different places, like he knows what's going on in their lives. Like when he's writing, he knows that there's a church he knows first off that after they parted ways that they went back to Rome. And he knows that there's a church set up in their house. Like These are little details that I think matter greatly. So we find this happening. Um, now Paul begins his uh, uh, third missionary journey. Now at this point Paul has written uh, at least two books, right? So who's got, who's got one of those... Uh, uh, what do they call them? The chronological Bibles. Has anybody got a chronological Bible? You have got some? Okay, so follow this and see if yours matches up with mine, like the ordering of, of what's going on. We'll see if I did my homework right. Um, now, they do differ slightly. Some people put certain books in certain different places. Um, so I'm going to read to you the first one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven books that were written, like the earliest letters that we have of the church, and all but one of them were written by Paul, right? So the earliest writings that we have, Paul. So the first, around 50 AD, is the book of James. Does that match up with what they got in there? Um, then comes 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and around 52, 53. Then we have in 55 AD, the book of Galatians being written. After that, we have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. After that, we have the book of Romans, right? 
So this is, this is going to be where we kind of stop for a second and we go jump. So we're going we're gonna to kind of fast forward in time, right? So now we're going to look and we're going to see what was written before the book of Romans and, and what can we tell about Paul and what his life experiences have been prior to the writing of Romans. So there's one very, very important place that I want us to go look. And this is going to be, and this is where we'll kind of wrap up for tonight. Um, this is in, and this was in y'all's, this was in the, the which is awesome, the way that, that this stuff works out. Um, if you're going through the book that I think most people are going through, I think today was on, uh, was on 2 Corinthians chapter 11, was part of one of the things that were, that were mentioned in that, in that study. Um, and here we find, so we know now that 2 Corinthians was written prior to Romans. So what I want us to ask ourselves is, what has Paul experienced up to the point that he's writing Romans? And, and there's no more clear and concise way to tell you that, that God has allowed him what he told him he was going to show him. Right? He said, I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Right? I'm going to show him. I've chosen him, and I've chosen him to suffer, which is crazy. Right? How many of it, when we start talking about being chosen, and we're going to get into election, and we're going to get into all that stuff when we get into Romans. When we get into that, I want to ask your, you to ask yourself one, one question. If chosen meant your life looking like Paul's, how many of you would even care to be chosen? How many of you want that kind of suffering? God said, I chose him, and I chose him to suffer, and I'm going to show him how much he suffers. And let's read in chapter 11, we're, we'll just start in... Uh, We'll just start in verse 16, right? So Paul has written to second, written Second Corinthians, this book, to the Corinthians. Shortly after, he'll be writing the book of Romans. So this really gets us in the mindset of what has Paul experienced since his conversion? And what state of mind is he in when he says, Paul, a slave of Christ, right? Where is he at? Verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For who gladly, for you gladly bear with fools, be, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we were, we were too weak to do that. For whatever anyone dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers from 
the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, and often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's my daily, there's daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? So here we have a man who started out, and we look in early in, in Acts there, and we, we find him being called a young man, and he's a, a young man who's persecuting the church. And God has called him and chosen him, and He has set him out on a path that would... I mean, read it. Read it. This is what he's experienced up to this point in his life. This is what he's experienced up to the point in time that he's about to pen the book of Romans. And I would say he lays out in the book of Romans the gospel in the clearest and most concise form. Again, I would say the book that we're going to be reading and studying over the next few weeks, months, years, however long it takes, is the book that changes lives. It changes lives in such a way. It's a, it's a gospel that changes us in such a way that the man that would stand there and approve of the church being murdered one by one, name by name, person by person, be the very person now going out and experiencing those same dangers. This is not a this is not a young and naive man that writes the book of Romans. Right? This is not an amateur. This is not someone who has not experienced life from both extremes. This is a man who knows what life is about. He knows what struggle is about. He knows what pain is about. He's experienced it likely in ways that we have not experienced it. Which is going to make the things that he tells us in the book of Romans so crazy and mind-blowing. Right? Like, let that sink and drop down on you like a weight when we get into verses like Romans 8 and 18 and he starts telling us that these sufferings that we go through aren't worth comparing. These are the sufferings, friend, that are not worth comparing. Right? We have a hope like that. Wow. Wow. So I want us to close in prayer. And again, I ask that y'all would just continue praying for me as I prep. Next week, we're again, it's going to be a little bit more review. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the book of Romans. Right, So we're going to do a high-level look at it. We're going to look at the major sections of the book, how it's broken down how it's put together, what's Paul trying to say through the book. These are things that we're going to be looking at. I'm going to bring to you some questions that I had the very first time. I've got it written here. The very first time that I taught it as I was prepping to teach it, I had some questions that I uh, wrote down that I myself had as I was going through this. So this being many of you's first time, and some of you, you've been in some of the past studies with me through this book, uh, but for some of you who uh, this may be the first time, um, you'll probably have some of the same questions that I had. And uh, believe you me, as you go through it time and time again, uh, you'll have questions answered, but uh, you'll find yourself struggling with new questions. Um, and that's awesome. So I want us to close in prayer. Um, and then we're going to uh, do worship for however long Sandra feels led to it. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day and for your many wonderful blessings in life. I thank you for this church. I thank you. Uh, for my friends and my family here at this church. I, I ask, Lord, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, move in our lives, that you would uh, 
Lord, that you would just move in ways that maybe even I've not anticipated. Lord, I thank you for Christ, and I thank you for the cross, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I pray that your gospel would be replanted in this church, that it would grow up in each and every one of us, and that we would be just empowered to go out and share it with others, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would move so that we can be moved. It's in Christ's name. Amen.